Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Today we'll continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The title of this sermon is, The Characteristics of the Calling. Here is the first half of this two-part study. So Paul is continuing the thought Uh, that he had in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man and as he closed up that prayer in doxology Paul was heading to talk about what it is to walk worthy what it is to have a relationship with Christ and actually walk in uh, in a way that is is worthy of the calling that we have on our lives that we belong to him now we're children of God He's going to get in today to what it takes to have the characteristics and have unity in, in the body. Now, I think one of the things that's very important is, is we see all the time bumper sticker, stickers that say coexist. That is not unity. I will not have unity with anyone that has unsound doctrine or, or, or don't follow biblical truths. God is not asking you to have unity with somebody who does not follow biblical truths. There's never going to be unity. So you need to understand that. Now, does that mean that we, how do we address them? Well, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And we are to be known by our love. So I can be very respectful and share truth with somebody and have conversations with somebody without being disrespectful, without being ugly, right? But when it comes to unity, I have to have in my mind that there's not going to be unity because their, their belief system is wrong. That they, they, uh, they adhere to unsound doctrine. And so, no, you do not coexist. Okay? It's very important you understand that. So we, we have different thoughts and, and viewpoints, but what we do is we, we base ours on biblical truth. We base ours on biblical truth, and we have unity based on that biblical truth and we have unity because we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We believe who Jesus Christ is, the Messiah. We believe that he was was crucified and resurrected and that he will return again. We don't believe that he's the half-brother of Lucifer. We don't believe that he's the archangel of Michael. We believe that the only way you get to the Father is through the Son. That's the only way. And, and when we can come to that, to understand that you're separated from a holy God because of your sin, and the only person that can, can forgive you of that sin is Jesus, 
to create that unity again with God, that's what we believe. So churches can come together in unity. People can come together in unity. I've seen it happen in this place. I've, I, you know, San Antonio, I, I can tell you right now, we were listening to, and I would highly recommend it, if you haven't listened to it, the Christian Worldview comes on every morning on Sun Salt Light Radio at, nine, at 8 o'clock in the morning. And this morning they were talking about the vacuum that's been created by Christians hunkering down in the churches. We've walked away from the school boards. We've walked away from city council. We've walked away from government. We've walked away from the press. We've walked away from everything. And we only stick together in these little groups and clumps and we're not involved in the world. And when there's a vacuum that happens, what fills it? The devil. That's why you have all the Christian teachers at in the universities. They can't be the only... I mean, it's, it's like, well, she, we only have one out of the whole university? Come on. Where are the Christians at? We stand together united. And there, let me tell you something. You think there's not many of you, but there are. We all serve the commander-in-chief. That's easy for me to understand. And not this commander-in-chief, but him, God. Okay? I respect the office of that commander-in-chief. I don't respect the person too much. That's a whole other issue. But I respect the office. But we understand there's one God. And, and He is our commander-in-chief. And so that's what we adhere to in unity as churches is in that belief. In the belief of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We walk uh, and, and, and we worship together. And it's important that even though that we, we have different churches in our area, right? We have a relationship with Jesus. We've been called to the same command, which is to share the gospel, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We may worship a little bit different than the church across the street, but they still worship. And there's unity in that. We may have a different belief in the, in the rapture or pre-tribulation, but those are just theological arguments. We still have unity because of God. And that's what Paul is trying to get across. Now remember, you have the Jews who hate the Gentiles and the Gentiles who are coming from false worship of Diana. And so they're used to... This is why you're going to see that word one over and over. Because he's saying, hey, like all these little false gods that y'all are following, they got to go. They got to go. Because they're going to prevent unity within the body. All that stuff has to go. And, and he's telling the Jews too, all that, all that tradition, all that rabbinical stuff that you've been forced to do, that doesn't come here anymore. You follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ unites you. And so that's what he's getting at as we look at this. When we look at, at, at our, our unity, our unity is built upon humility. It's built upon obedience to the Father. It, it's, it's given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's done through when we apply God's Word through the bond of peace. That's where we have unity. And, and so when we look at the godly characteristics, it's important for us to understand unity is not uniformity. Okay? Like I said, we, our brothers and sisters are at First Baptist Divine. Our brothers and sisters are at Prevailing Word. We go where they're not Calvary chapels. They still believe in God. They still believe that Jesus is the only way. They still believe the only way that you, are, you can be reconciled with God is through His Son, through confession. 
Remember that. And if you go, I don't know what they believe. Go to their website, look at their about page, and read their statement of faith. And you'll find out very quickly what that church believes. And whether or not you can have unity with them. You want to know if you can read a writer? Like there's a writer that you go, man, I really want to read this Christian book. Go to their website. See what they believe. Because if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be reading the book. shouldn't have anything to do with it. And what I mean by that is if it's a Christian book to build you up and they don't believe in Jesus, we have to be mindful of these things. We want to be unified, but we need to be unified by walking worthy together. Godly character. Let's look at the first point here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy for the calling with which you were called. So last week we talked about walking worthy. And we gave you some examples of what a worthy walker looks like. I want to just give it to you in this simple way as we'll move past this point pretty quickly because we went over it last week. We should be walking away from the old self. We should be walking away from the old you. And you should be walking as a child of God, walking to, towards God as a new creation, being strengthened in the inner man. And that's where your worthy walk begins. It's... it's, it's who understanding that I'm his child, I've been called to a newness of life, I'm a servant of God, I am to worship and walk in the newness of life, and that is a worthy walk. Very simply, you can ask this question to yourself or to your spouse, who I am determines what I do. Who I am determines what I do. Which way are you walking? Because if you're a child of God, it'll be expressed in what you do. If you're walking in darkness, it'll be expressed in what you do. We walk worthy. We're called to walk with God, to serve. But you're no longer, and this is very important that you get this, you're no longer a child of wickedness. You're no longer a child of the enemy. You're no longer a child of brokenness. Wait a minute. I like hanging on to that. He's like, that's got to go. That's not who you are anymore. I want to help, help you through that. Because you are a new creation in Christ. You're no longer a child of the streets. You got to let that go. You don't need to be hanging out and doing stuff that you know you're not supposed to be doing anymore. And you can't blame your behavior on the streets. Okay? Well, I, I, for us that have been in the armed forces, you're no longer a child of the armed forces. Grow up. You're a child of God. Okay? God has called you to a higher standard than what the Army or the Navy or the Air Force or the Marines have called you to. You've been called to a higher standard. We have to walk away from the things of this world and walk towards God. We're walking towards the only one who's, I'm not worthy. When it, when it talks about a worthy walk, none of us in this room are worthy. We're only worthy because of Christ. We're only worthy because the sinless, perfect Lamb of God who knew no sin took our sin on that cross. And we've chosen to follow Him, to be clothed in His righteousness. Remember who you are. Remember that you're a child of God. Remember that's the direction that you should walk in royalty because you have a King of Kings that you belong to. And He tells you as you're walking worthy of the calling... He's going to give you a list of things, the characteristics that you need to be doing to walk worthy in. 
with all loneliness, which is humility, and gentleness with, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, forbearance with one another in love. Now, God gives us the characteristics of what it takes for us to have unity. Remember when we talked about it last week, we talked about church family. And, and I told you that most of us come from dysfunctional families, right? So when we hear the word family, we cringe. But he's saying these are the things that are going to bring unity in the church. These are the things that are going to bring unity within our friendships and our fellowship. Because we are called to live life together. And so the first thing he starts off with is humility, lowliness. To walk worthy called to humility. Humility is simply the word here that's used in the Greek is actually you're not elevating yourself. You're actually being brought low. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Paul was writing to the Philippians at this time because the Philippians thought they were everything. All that in a bag of chips, what we used to say. They thought they were everything. And Paul was letting them know, hey, look, that conceit that you have, that pride that you have, you need to exchange that for humility. Moses, one of the most passionate leaders, and, and, and confronted Pharaoh and, and, and had to deal with Israel and, and the rebellion and idolatry, and then eventually has to go to the Lord when Israel falls. And yet he's hailed as the meekest of men. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says, So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And I want you to catch this because they were attacking Moses. And, and I, make sure you get this. And the Lord heard it. You need to highlight that in your Bible. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And the Lord heard it. They ain't getting away with nothing. You may think, man, they're telling this person, they're telling that person. God knows. You just be humble. You, you, you don't need to get into the weeds. And then we have in parentheses in verse 3. And the reason this is in parentheses is because this is God. And Moses is having to write this. He says, now the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. That's from God. Man, what a, what a characteristic of a worthy walk. To be like Moses. To be humble. The opposite of humility is pride and arrogance. And pride is at the very heart of Satan. That's what, what, what he loves to do, is to get you seeking and following after him and removing the glory from God and putting it on yourself. You elevate yourself. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Arrogance makes a person a, a mocker. And eventually they'll be disgraced. Because wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord, which comes from faith. And that involves humility. You're giving up arrogance and self-sufficiency. We know the verse very well, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before the destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And so when we look at our, our lives, are, are we being prideful in our responses? Are we being arrogant in our responses? Are we actually... Taking God's glory and the work that we're doing for the Lord. You know, just to let you know, you're not that special. None of us are. God doesn't need us. 
Like you go, man, the church would fall down if I'm not here on Sunday. You are out of your mind. You are prideful and arrogant. I'm serious. God doesn't need us. He wants us to serve. He allows us to serve. He equips you and gifts you through the Holy Spirit. The moment you start getting prideful and arrogant, the fall's coming. It's coming. Paul was dealing again with the, the, the church in Philippi, and they were boasting and prideful people. And so Paul is going to give them an example of, of where how bad his pride was before Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, it says, Though I, I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I've got more than you. Right? And he goes, Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is... In the law, blameless. Paul is showing his pride before Christ. Paul is showing his pride in race. I am of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Don't touch me. Paul had pride in his position. I'm a Pharisee. I have power. I have power to persecute the church. I have power to order people to be killed. He was prideful about the power that he had. Not only the position, but also the power. And Paul was letting the church of Philippi know, look, these things are not good. This is who I was before Christ came into my life. There are none good, no, not one. In Romans chapter 3, verse 12, there is none who does good, no, not one. We need to be very careful in the church to not be prideful and not to prejudge. And what I mean by that is what happens again is you begin to justify your works and thinking you're better than the brother and sister next to you in the church. And this is what causes disunity. You start thinking because you have a position or a title that you have power. But all of us are the same. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And what we do is we start, start allowing our, our, our pride to creep in and we begin to justify our bad behavior. We start allowing criticizing and condemning. We're constantly verbally abusing people in the church. Talking at someone or talking down to someone. Thinking that you're spiritually inferior to everyone. It happens. And all of that is puffed up pride. You start condemning people. And then you go from person to person gossiping and gossiping and gossiping. And then you start character assassinations. And pride comes before the fall. Look what Paul says. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8? To me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul only looked at this with humility. Like I should not even be doing this, but Christ has allowed me to because of grace. Because of grace. The reason you get to serve is because of God. God allows you to. God allows you to. If, if, you, if you have some puffed up pride in you, you need, to, you need to, if you're walking towards that, you need to walk away from that and start walking back to being a child of God because you're walking and drifting into the darkness when you allow that pride because that's when church hurt happens. 
people get upset. You think you're inferior to everybody. Let me tell you something. Uh, one of the, the greatest things that happened to me was when I left Grace Calvary Chapel. And I love my church. I love my pastor. I love the people there that serve there. I absolutely love my brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason why I say that is because I was the assistant pastor. I was the men's. I taught men's study. Um, I, I did the books for the church. I did the radio for the church, the social media for the church. And I thought, man, they're gonna really, there's going to be a gap there of learning. I honestly thought that. And you know what? Church went on the next week. And God reminded me, hey, I don't need you. And I was so glad he showed me that. Because it, it, it reminds me, like, a humility, like, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you think you're perfect in every way. If you tell me I don't have a problem with humility, yes, you do. I can be humble. I'm humble all the time. You're dealing with pride right now. Walk away from that stuff. Be humble. Give God the glory. Okay? Give God the glory. Walk worthy. You're called to walk worthy. A worthy walk would be called to gentleness, which is another word for meekness. Meekness is one of the greatest words I love. It is power under control. Think about a, a horse. You have the bridle in the horse's mouth, which is no bigger than that. And you can control the, that, that powerful horse with that small bridle. Very simply. But it's power under control. One of the things that I love about meekness is in the Greek it actually means that you, uh, in the midst of difficult circumstances, you restrain patience. You restrain patience. You trust in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because a meek person is not weak. A meek person is very Christ-like. Power under control. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you, have, uh, you are spiritual restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. Uh, Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. He's like, look, it could be you that's struggling and somebody's going to come to you and with the spirit of uh, gentleness to try to help you. If you blow up on them, that says more about your heart than it does than the person who came to you in meekness. Power under control. It's, it, it's a reminder to us that we need to, we need to be... We're, we're there to, to help try to restore people as well. And, and I talked about it Wednesday night about when there's friction with the sheep and... And, and how we need to, to, with a soft answer, correct somebody. If you have a husband and wife and you can't correct each other, what are you doing? With meekness, you have power under control. You don't do it in the moment. So when he comes in, I told you, when he comes in all hot and he's upset, he's had a bad day, clanging around, slamming stuff down, snapping at you, snapping at the kids, do you do it in that moment? No, you have meekness with power, power under control. You pray for him in that moment, or you pray for her in that moment, and you say, okay, when we're praying tonight, I'm going to talk to them. Because the, the, the behavior has to be corrected. Because that's what that verse is telling you above you, that in the spirit of gentleness, you want to see them restored. Because that behavior is not natural. That behavior, you're not walking towards a worthy walk. You're walking away. You're walking back towards the darkness because you're allowing anger and, and next thing you know, you start chunking stuff and that's wrath. You need to deal with that stuff. 
You need to be able to say something to your spouse and say, hey, I love you. But man, you gotta, you gotta take a breath before you come in the house. You need to pray before you come in the house. Lift weights. You wanna, you wanna tire yourself out? Go for a walk in this heat. You won't have no energy left. But you need to get all of that out of you before you walk in these doors because this is God's home. Okay? And gentleness needs to be in this home. And that's something that we need to really be. But if you can't tell that person that you're married to, oh my Lord. But that means even here in the church, you need to be able to say something. Okay? We need to have that, that spirit of gentleness. Look at David in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 8 and 10. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the men who say, Indeed, David seeks you har your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had delivered you to today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not, will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. That is what power under control is. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 